Good morning, church. I managed to see about 10 minutes of the royal wedding, and uh, like David, I was so moved just by the image, not of that wedding, but of the wedding that we're going to have one day. The, the pageantry was spectacular, I saw the last little bit, but imagine what it's going to be like, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Imagine when we are united with our Lord and Savior, the great bride, bridegroom, Jesus Christ. May we ever carry that in our hearts. Amen. Amen. And something else about the wedding. Um, I don't know if you heard, but Queen Elizabeth was delighted to announce that the royal family is now BE level 2 compliant. <laughs> <I'm> joking. <laughs> I want to make an announcement. Two weeks' time, we have a very special moment in the life of the church. We do this once a year. And what we do is we present to the church everything that's happened in, in summary. We have a normal worship and word, but we take about 15 minutes that we carve out of both of those, and we celebrate what God has done. We also present the finances of the church to this house. And if you're a member, we believe in radical transparency. So we put the mic out there, and if you're a member, you can ask any questions. If you don't get time to ask your questions or we don't get time to answer, you can inspect the books because we stand before the Lord with the fear of God in terms of the finances. And you can look at the church's finances. You can ask any questions. This is not my church. This is our church. Ultimately and absolutely, it's God's church. Amen? Amen. So that's the AGM in two weeks' time. If I say to you the word Father, Papa, Baba, some of you respond with a positive emotion. Some of you, maybe you've got mixed emotions when you think about your father, your earthly father. And some of you have major negative emotions. We don't have the stats for South Africa, but the stats in America say that 75% of Americans all agree that the greatest sociological problem at the moment is the physical absence of fathers. And 55% of all Americans say that they have got unresolved issues with their father. We're going to talk today, as Jess shared, just about the importance of our Heavenly Father. Maybe your natural father's great, maybe is isn't. But there is one who loves you as the true father. And he wants to reveal himself to you today. I'm going to ask Jess to come up. And I just want to make a few more comments before she reads to you from Luke 15. Jesus tells the greatest parable to my mind. And in telling this parable, he tells us that everything that you've ever thought about how to connect with God... Up to, that, up to this time, when he tells the parable, has been wrong. The ancient mindset, the modern mindset, the postmodern mindset of how we connect with God is wrong. You know, for 200 years, the Romans called us Christians atheists because they said, this isn't a religion. In fact, they didn't call Christianity a religion. They called it an anti-religion, and they called us atheists. Because our view on connecting with God is so radical and so different. So Jess, Pastor Jess, won't you read the scripture for us? Thank you so much. Great. It's a long passage, so please turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Luke 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. This is a story not about one son. Some of your Bibles might describe it as the story of the prodigal son. It's a story primarily about a father, a good father. And it's a story about two sons, and we're meant to look at them in contrast, and we're meant to juxtapose them. And if you look really carefully, it's a story actually about three sons, but it's a bit subtle, and we'll get there. Now, the story starts off, he's a good father, and he's prosperous, and he's got two sons. And then the one son comes along and says to him, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, historians tell us, speaking about the culture at that time, that for a son to do that, effectively, you know what he'd be saying? He'd be saying, you know, it's really awkward and difficult that you're alive today still, father. It would actually be really convenient if you were dead. Because what I would like is not to be in relationship with you. I would like your stuff. I would like your things, but I don't really want to be with you. That's what he was saying. I don't want you. I want what you can give me. And that would be astounding to the Jewish mindset. That, that a son would have the, the gall, the insolence, the disrespect to say to the father, give me my share. 
And what is, is, is incredible is the father's response, which is also unheard of. In the Jewish mindset, the son would have got a big smack across the head. But instead, it says that he divided his property. Now, the word property is the word bios, from which we get biology. It means he gave his life. In those days, your property was land, and much like today, it's highly emotional, the land. And your life and your identity is tied to that. And you don't sell your land, you don't sell it to get money, you pass it on. And yet here the son is saying, give it to me. So there's a forced sale, probably makes a loss, and he divides up the property. And this father is an example to us of our heavenly father who gives us choice time and time again. He loves us, and he loves us so much that he allows us to choose. And so the younger brother chooses to exit from relationship. How often have you pursued God only for what he could give you? particularly those moments of crisis, <laughs> as opposed to pursuing God for who he is and for relationship. Augustine writes, because you have made us and drawn us, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And he goes on to say that even a murderer who murders, he does it because he loves something. He loves romance or wealth, or his own reputation. He has wants, desires, loves. This is the point. We can turn any good thing into an ultimate thing. We can have a disordered value system, or a disordered love for things, or for people above our love for God. And you know what happens when we do that? The effect is that we start to be starved. When we want things, or even people more than we want God, we start to starve. And we start to become enslaved. We become a slave to these things that we want more than we want God. And we start to become divided. We start to become torn in our own soul. And it ultimately destroys us. And this is what happens to the young man. The word of God makes it clear. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal love, life eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this young man finds himself in a desperate strait. No more friends, no more girlfriends, no more money. And he gets brought to a place of humiliation and defilement. He starts to become a pig herder. And for a Jewish person, I mean, that's like the lowest of the low. You don't even touch a pig. My son James was on mission two years ago in Lesotho, and they went door to door, hut to hut rather, and, uh, and they said to the people, can we serve you in any way? And then they would serve the people, and there was this old gogo that they went to. I said, can we serve you? And she said to James, if you could go clean up this pigsty, please. You know? And she asked really nicely. So they gave, she gave James this little brush about this long and a small little pan, and he said he went into this pigsty, and it's just like pig poo everywhere. And this massive pig running around, excited, squealing, you know. And it's like just a mess. And he's like scraping this up, and he's like thinking, 
if I'm going to get sick for Jesus, this is the time. <laughs> he's just, just like so disgusting. And he's like, he's wearing his like welly boots. He's saying he's so glad he did. Brothers and sisters, being a pig herder is no romantic thing. Okay? It is a place of defilement and disgust. Not all of us outside of Jesus actually end up in the pig pen. We all end up in a terrible place. Our intent might be good. We might be thinking we're just pursuing freedom. But outside of the Father's house, we end up in a desperate strait. I want us to play a video which just, just so spoke to my heart. And it's from uh, Les Robs, And it's the story of Fantine, this poor working class girl. And uh, what happened to her. And... Um, Just see it as a story of the prodigal son as you watch it. Thank you. There was a time when men were kind When their voices were soft When their words inviting There was a time when love was blind And the world was a song and the song was exciting. There was a time. Then it all went wrong.
Friends, it is the love and the kindness of God that draws us back. That hope that He will receive us, that He will love us. And and we need to understand that God stands like this father of the prodigal son. And His response to us is one of love. And doesn't matter where you are now, what you're doing, doesn't matter how many times you've said sorry, if you are today or tomorrow, will repent and turn to him, he will receive us. In Psalm 51, David, after having committed adultery, after killing one of his 30 men, he writes, he says, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. Pantene says, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. My life has killed the dream I dreamed. This is, the, this is the truth for everybody outside of Jesus. We end up just in death and destruction. So what happens to the prodigal son? It says, he came to his senses he started to realize that a DIY, do it yourself, according to my wisdom, according to my plans, doesn't work. And he thinks back to the father's house and he says, there there's food and, and there there's life. And so he turns. And even his turning is not perfect. Because note what he says, he, he cooks up a plan. Um, he says, I'll go to my father and I'll tell him, make me one of your hard servants. He's, I'll pay my way back. There's no gift that we can give to God that makes him accept us. It's been paid. Jesus has paid the full price, the only price. And so we come to him empty-handed, and he loves us, and he accepts us. So he walks, and it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and uh, some church historians say that the reason why he then runs to him is that according to the culture of that day, 
that because of the dishonor and the disrespect that he had treated his father, that the community could have punished him. And so the father's looking for him. And he runs to him, and, and, and that's dishonorable. In those days, children ran, women ran, but patriarchs don't run. They don't show their calves, they don't reveal. But he runs to him to protect him and love him. And here is this, this boy, this young man, and he's covered in pig poo and he's barefoot. And what does he do? He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Just as an aside, fathers, I hope you kiss your children. Amen. I still kiss my boys on the head, but I still kiss my boys <laughs> at 22 and 21. But you know what kissing is? It's intimate. And the father wants to be close and intimate with you. And he brings the best robe. He says, bring the best robe. You know what the best robe was? His robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his finger. You know what the ring was? The ring was economic emancipation. I mean, you would put an impression of the ring onto wax and you'd buy on credit. It's like saying, bring the credit card. Give him the cell phone. Give him the CM28 and sign him a backup as a director. Give him the keys of the car. He's restoring him completely. And he's barefoot. Put sandals on his feet and clothe him. And then he says, and bring the event coordinator. We, we are going to have the biggest party ever. That is God's heart to you when you come home. That is God's response to every younger brother. When we just turn, he's looking from a distance. He's not, now, nah, tell me what you've done. His heart is one of love and mercy and embrace. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how many times you've done it. How many times are we called to forgive somebody who sins against us? Seven times? 70 times seven, 490 in one day. How much more will God forgive us? How much more will he forgive us if we repent? And so he's reconciled. And so he's restored. And his shame and his sin is taken away. But not all is well. That's act one. Act two is the self-righteous, self-deceiving older brother. All of us are like the younger brother in some way. And all of us are like the older brother in some way. The older brother hears that they're having a party. And I mean, what's wrong with somebody if you come home and you hear a party and you don't go in? I mean, it's just something like wrong inside of you. I mean, you hear a party, you go inside. He stays outside and he's angry and he refuses to come in, even though the father has called him in. So the father goes out and, and begs him and pleads with him. He answers with with great disrespect, he basically calls his father, hey, you. He answers him, look, that's how he speaks to him. All these years I've been slaving for you. That was his perspective of being in the house. I pray that you don't have that perspective of being a Christian. It's not meant to be slavery. It's meant to be joy and life abundantly. And he says, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Well, we know that's a lie, because he just disobeyed him when he said, come inside. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What's the point here? 
he's not worried about his brother. He's worried about the goat, okay? Or he's worried about the fattened calf. He's worried about what the father can give him. He's not worried about relationship with the father. And then he says, when the son of yours, married couples, have you ever had this where you say to each other, your child, <laughs> then you know it's bad. <laughs> your son, not mine, not my brother, this is your son. Let's talk about the self-righteous, self-deceiving moralism. Some of the signs is that you're quick to be angry. There's an anger, there's a deep anger in your heart. Another sign is there's a joylessness. You don't enjoy worship. You come late for worship. You don't care about worship and prayer. Everything is just mechanical obedience. You don't care about younger brothers. You don't care about young disciples, and you definitely don't care about those who are outside of Christ. And you don't know the love of the Father yourself, even though you are here. And you're very skilled, very adept at identifying problems and mistakes of other people. You've got an unforgiving, judgmental spirit. And you've got a lack of concern for the things that are on the Father's heart and His priorities. And you've definitely got a lack of concern for the lost. So let's look at them together. These two sons. One is moralistic, trying to do what's right, but not succeeding. Because none of us can succeed. And one is just bad. Their relationship with the father, both of them are alienated. Both of them are not in sweet relationship. Their desires, until the younger son came home, both of them just wanted the things of the father, but didn't want the father himself. The plot is to use the father to get what he wants. You know, if I think of my boys, and if they said to me, Dad, all we want is our inheritance. We don't want to spend time with you. I mean, I'd be broken. I'd be broken. And yet so often we treat God that way. And we don't desire to be with him and in fellowship with him and in sweetness with him. The older son is by outward conformity. It's all in the outward. And the other one just by being bad. You know, I had such a funny experience this morning. I went for a prayer walk, as is my custom. And I keep on bumping into this cat. Okay? <laughs> Now, I don't know if you like animals or not. We're more dog people. Maybe you're not even a pet person. But this cat just is like the most beautiful cat I've ever seen. And this cat runs up to me and, like, jumps on my lap and purrs. And, like, I mean, it's just, like, amazing, you know. This cat enjoys me. <laughs> you know? And now when I walk, I mean, I look, where's my cat, you know? Because this cat enjoys my company. And in some funky way, I'm touched by this. <laughs> now, how much more, how much more is God moved? How much more is God moved by the fact that you want to spend time with him? Yeah. How much more is God touched that you want to worship him and pray and tell him you love him? How much more is God's heart melted because you, you enjoy him and you love him? And you pursue a relationship with him. 
Let's talk about the true older brother, the third brother. The first older brother, you know, he would have got two-thirds of the inheritance. The elder brother always got a double portion. And with that came certain responsibilities to look after the father, but also to hold the family together. And when something went wrong, he would have to step up. And so it would have been his responsibility as the older brother to go and find the younger brother. But he doesn't do that. Jesus is the true older brother who comes after us, who draws us by his love, who convicts us of our sins by the Holy Spirit, and, and who pays the price for us. And the response of our heart should be that we are melted, that somebody loved us so much to come this far and die on the cross for us. Jesus is the true older brother. So let's talk about coming home as I conclude. To come home, we need the initiating love of the Father. We can't come on our terms. We can't come when we want to. We come because the Father loves us, because he sends his Holy Spirit to convict us, because the Son draws us. We need the initiating love of the Father. Now today, if you're here and you're feeling something in your heart, it's not bad pizza. It's God speaking to you. If you're a prodigal son, and, and we've all been a prodigal son, if he's speaking to your heart, don't resist him. Second thing we need is we need to repent of our sins and of our self-saving. You know, there was um, the story about a man, and uh, he was married, but all his free time he spent with another woman. And uh, he, he shared with her, this other woman, his fears, his hopes. They'd go on business trips together. They'd even go on holiday together. And uh, never slept with this other woman. And eventually, his wife confronted him and said, this is ridiculous. And he said, what do you mean? I pay the bills. You know, I tell everybody that you are my wife if they ask. <laughs> and I'm not physically unfaithful. And the response of the wife is, yes, but I don't have your heart. We need to repent of our sins and we need to repent of our self-saving and give our hearts to him. Make him first in our affections. And we need to be melted. We need to be moved by what it costs to bring us home. If you're not moved by the love of God, if you're not like, I, I'm just so grateful, then there's a lack of revelation as to the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of God. Now, there's one more thing, and it's not a prerequisite to come home, but it's a natural consequence. If you have truly come home, if you have repented of your self-righteousness, I'm a good person, or your sin, if you've been melted 
by the love of God, if you've responded to his initiating love, there's one more thing. And that is that you will become like the true elder brother. You become like what the elder brother was meant to be. You become like Jesus. And the things that are important to God become important to you. I've, uh, I did a lot of running during um, our sabbatical when Nick was in hospital. My pattern would be I'd, I'd run, I'd gym, I'd go to the hospital, I'd go home and do admin and then go back to the hospital. But I did a lot of running. And uh, I trust to share the gospel whenever I ran. And I shared the gospel and uh, imparted to, to lots of people. And there was a particular lady who I shared with during, during January, and then I just haven't seen her since then. And I saw on um, Tuesday morning, and uh, she's in the running crew, secular running crew that I'm, that I'm in, and uh, she said to me, you know, she was raised as an atheist, and her parents are atheists, and she's never believed in God. And she said, and I don't know what's happened, but um, I believe in God now. <laughs> and, um, and I said to her, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. <laughs> can we have melted hearts? And can we be changed that we become like the true older brother? That we are willing to step outside of our box, outside of our comfort zone, and share the good news about Jesus. You know, the first time I started to run in that group and share Jesus, um, it happened like this. They said to me, so, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And instantly, this happy community just broke up. I mean, people, some people started running faster, and some people started running. And I was like, did, did I say something wrong? <laughs> Clearly, they were not interested. So now when they ask me, so what do you do? I go like, well, I've had a bimodal career. And uh, qualified as a chartered accountant and started a business, blah, blah, blah. But when I was very young, I just had something in my heart to, to help people. And in fact, when I was about eight, I, I was reading a scripture and it spoke about sharing the gospel. And, and so when I was 40, I came into ministry. <laughs> By this time, they're not going nowhere, you know. <laughs> my point being, when you first share the love of God and you're not practiced and you're not used to it, And even when you are practiced and used to it, you're going to get rejection. Because they reject Jesus, they're going to reject you. But may we have the courage to be like the true older brother and reach out to the younger brother. Amen. Can we close in prayer together, please? I want to give you an opportunity, and we're going to speak to both older and younger brothers, but if you are the younger brother and you've been chasing after things and you find yourself trapped or you find yourself in the pig pen you find yourself in a place of shame disappointment defilement tragedy brokenness you've run you've run from God He's the good, good father. And he's waiting for your return. And he's not angry with you. 
but he knows what is good for you. And he wants to embrace you and give you a ring and give you a cloak. But what you need to do is you need to say, I'm coming back to the Father. And stop trying doing it yourself. There's nothing you can bring. But all you can do, all of us can do is accept him and say, Father, forgive me. If you want to do that this morning, and, and most of us in this house have done that, we want to give you an opportunity. If you want to make that commitment, say, Jesus, I'm coming home, then, then lift up your hand. The Bible says that if we confess him before man, he will confess us before the Father. So if you want to come home today, just lift up your hand high so I can see. Two, three hands. Church, can we all stand together? There is a party in heaven for one person who comes home. And it says the angels in heaven rejoice. So I'm going to ask those of you who put up your hand, just come to the front. And we're just going to celebrate. You put up your hand. Why don't you come to the front now? Just come to the front. A couple of other hands. So great. So great. A couple of other hands. Anybody else? We are so happy. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're all going to pray it. And you pray this aloud. Lord Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm following you. I give you my heart. Turn away from these idols, these false passions, and I make you my first affection. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. We want to help you and give you some literature. Will you go with Maureen? Just for five minutes. Church, can we bring our older brother and our younger brother personalities before the Lord. Some of us are older brothers in the sense of we don't care about the lost. And some of us are younger brothers in that there's stuff that we pursue that we want more than God. Can we bring our hearts before the Lord and just say, Lord, come in. Father, we don't want to pursue you for what you can give us. We want to pursue you for a relationship. And Father, where we have been pursuing things that take our affection, Lord God, but we repent. And where we have been running from you, we repent, Lord God. We come home. We come home. And we receive your mercy and we receive your grace and we receive your forgiveness. And Father, where we have been the older brother, angry, judgmental, but not caring for the lost, where we are an expert on so many things, but in practice there's no love expressed. Lord, we repent. Lord, grace us and quicken us and grant us to, to love the lost and to love those who smell like pig poo, Lord God, 
around us, or so we perceive, oh God, but need discipleship and need help. May we not despise the younger brothers, but may we reach out to them and may we disciple them. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.